Hi, and welcome to Bright Shifts Podcast. On this episode, we're going to explore what it means to be a psychological-minded person and why it matters to view the world from a psychological perspective. There are many definitions for this term. People who are psychological-minded have certain characteristics. For example, they can reflect on their own emotions and thoughts as well as others, so there is self-reflection and introspection involved. They tend to not just look at the surface of things and dare to go deeper. They have a capacity for recognizing the psychological meaning and motives behind their own and other people's actions and emotions. They are aware that no one is perfect, including themselves and their parents. In general, they tend to be less judgmental and more understanding. So their world is not black and white, it's colorful, because they're able to look at the world from so many different angles. On today's episode, I'm speaking with Dr. Michael Carson, who is a clinical psychologist, professor of clinical and forensic psychology at the University of Denver, as well as the author of six books. Prior to entering academia, Dr. Carson had practiced individual and couple psychotherapy, child welfare assessment, and personal selection for more than 25 years. And if you, like me, are a fan of the Psychology Today magazine, you must have come across many of his amazing articles as they are regularly published there. Dr. Carson, welcome to the Bright Shift podcast, and thank you for being here with us today. Thanks for having me. So I'd like to start by asking you this question. In your expert opinion, what does it mean to look at the world from a psychological point of view, and why does this kind of outlook or psychological mindedness matter in general? Let's, uh, let me just start by giving an idea about what is meant by psychological mindedness. And I feel sure. like the American poet Walt Whitman nailed it in just a few words. He wrote, I contradict myself, I contain multitudes. And the idea is that it's a way of considering ourselves and others to be psychological creatures, as opposed to some other frame on who people are, such as biological creatures, chemical creatures, moral creatures, and so on. To think of ourselves as psychological creatures has a couple of major impacts. One is it can lead to comfort with oneself because it requires us to see ourselves as containing multitudes, not just being who our public relations department inside our own head claims us to be, but acknowledging that all of humanity is contained in each of us in all the different ways of being. Not always in the same arrangements, but a comprehensive view of humanity contained in every individual. And I think the other major impact of psychological mindedness is dealing with internal conflict as internal conflict, as opposed to externalizing it and casting someone else as the villain or the evil force in our story. So there, in my mind, there are a lot of parallels between a society 
a family, and an individual. And part of what it means to be psychological is to foster a way of looking at the world and oneself where one resolves one's internal conflicts internally, as opposed to finding some sort of common enemy to blame things on, and then directing all of our aggression outwards, rather than trying to come up with what might be called wisdom as a way of managing our internal conflicts. Interesting way of explaining it. I think also understanding and cultivating some virtues or certain concepts, such as tolerance, forgiveness, equality, and so on and so forth, are mostly possible through understanding them on a psychological level. What are your thoughts on that? I agree completely. And if you unpack your phrase on understanding on a psychological level, I think what we often get to is acknowledging that we're not superior to others. And this is difficult to deal with because one of the main ways we have of managing our fears and anxieties and expectations about the world is to create an imagined self, an idealized self, that makes us feel like we are superior, not only to others, but superior to our own humanity. And this has to be relinquished to acknowledge that we're all psychological creatures. And it has to be relinquished to get to a place of wisdom, tolerance, forgiveness, and the other virtues that, that you described. So do you believe, based on this explanation, do you believe our world would become a kinder and a more peaceful place if most of us could look at the world affairs and people's behavior from a psychological standpoint? I definitely believe that would be true, although it has to be acknowledged that there is a problem, which is when two societies, two people are in conflict, when an individual is at war with themselves, and one side of the conflict adopts a reasonable, empathic, connected, tolerant process, that side makes itself vulnerable to attack from the other side. So much of what perpetuates ills in society, in my opinion, is that it makes us vulnerable to try to implement wisdom, tolerance, and forgiveness when the other side is going to war. And I don't really have a lot of uh, fresh insight on that prospect politically or socially. But in families, I think it's crystal clear that going to war is often not a good idea. It's not healthy. And that what would be healthier would be adopting a posture of empathy and welcoming all the members of a family. And then intrapsychically within each individual, I think it's also crystal clear, even more than in families, that all the parts of the self need to be welcomed or ought to be welcomed and accepted and not necessarily celebrated, but at least welcomed and accepted to create a sense of wholeness within each individual, um, as opposed to going to war with oneself, which doesn't seem like it can have a good outcome. 
As I was researching this topic, I came across a study which I found really interesting. Basically, in this research, they examined the relationship between anxiety, attachment style, and psychological mindedness. And the findings suggested that higher levels of anxiety and attachment insecurity are associated with lower levels of psychological mindedness. What are your thoughts on this, doctor? Well, I would say that psychological mindedness, attachment security, and low anxiety are all different ways of saying the same thing. When we think of a attachment security, what we typically mean, at least from an object relational point of view, is a parenting system that acknowledges, welcomes, and meets the needs of the child and biological needs and also social needs. So a secure attachment is a outcome of caregiving where the child is accepted rather than rejected, or each of the child's kinds of needs is accepted rather than rejected. If there's a parenting system that, or a family system that rejects a child's clinginess or hunger or aggression, the child is going to develop an insecure attachment because one way of saying what an insecure attachment is, is a child that has discovered if I am needy, I'll be rejected. If I'm hungry, I'll be rejected. If I'm aggressive, I'll be rejected. And that means this attachment is insecure. And then anxiety follow, you know, one way of describing what anxiety is, there's a show business term called flop sweat, which is anxiety that you're going to flop when you're about to go on stage. And it's based on feeling like either your material is not that good and you're going to fail, or it's based on the idea that people won't accept you and the role you're going to try to pull off. At least in America, the number one kind of anxiety is public speaking. And public I guess speaking, everywhere, perhaps. I think it might be true everywhere. It's, it's flop sweat. It's, it's a fear that you're going to stand up in front of a group of people and claim to be pulling off a certain role, whether it's expert or tour guide or whatever, and they're not going to accept you in that role. So if you think of that as a main kind of anxiety, then pulling off the role of human being makes you anxious if you believe that your own I'm going back to the examples I used, mm -hmm. hunger, neediness, or aggression are going to disqualify you from playing that role, then you're going to walk around feeling anxious all the time because you don't, you're aware that there are certain parts of yourself that disqualify you from the role of human being as it's been defined for you. So the idea that some kind of pervasive anxiety would be linked to attachment insecurity, which would be linked to low psychological mindedness, or again, just three ways of saying the same thing. Psychological mindedness is acknowledging and welcoming all the different ways you are as a human being. And this is what's meant by attachment security. And then, of course, that's going to lead to anxiety if there's something about your basic humanity that you don't accept or welcome into your idea of who you are. As human 
human beings, we have progressed to a great extent in terms of technological advancement, especially in the last few decades. But psychologically speaking, do you think we have also progressed or evolved to the same extent? Where do you think we stand today? It's interesting, isn't it? Um, as I notice about reading literature, even literature as far back as the Old Testament, is that people don't seem like they've changed that much. When I read the Old Testament as a you know, 21st century educated person, it seems like there's a whole lot that they didn't know about science and technology and math and economics. But when you read Ecclesiastes, it seems like they know pretty much everything there was to know about humans. And I would say the same for a great deal of literature from that the those centuries. Yeah, I agree with that, especially our essence, our main essence, it seems to be the same. Yeah. And, you know, the, the new takes on humans uh, based on science are less than 100 years old. And yeah. they haven't gone very far. And I'm talking about radical behaviorism, even cognitive behavior theory, psychoanalysis, existential thinking, systems thinking. These things are pretty new. And most people don't think about themselves in these terms. And again, one you know, fundamental way to think about psychological mindedness is to think, well, maybe psychoanalytic theory or existential theory or systems theory or behaviorism has some take on who we are as people that would be new. But most people haven't even begun to adopt those. Even most psychologists, in my experience, use clinical theory to understand patients, but not necessarily to understand themselves. So I don't think we've gotten very far. The good news is that the amount of wisdom that was available in ancient literature is still applicable and is still wise, so that's a good thing. My main fear about what's happening now is that technology is so far outpacing our knowledge of ourselves that we're replacing knowledge of ourselves with metaphors from technology. So people are letting themselves be defined by their social media presence. Absolutely. And this, I think, is unhealthy. So I, I would prefer a world in which people thought of themselves as psychological creatures. But short of that, I think it was a lot healthier to think of yourself as a member of your family or a member of your community or a member of your, your, your neighborhood than as a member of the tightly defined, narrow social community that you've discovered on TikTok or Facebook or some other social media. Yes, and it's a completely different kind of connection also when it's online. It's not exactly designed based on what we human beings need in terms of relationship. I totally agree. And going back to what I was saying about psychological mindedness, attachment security, and low anxiety, all being synonyms for being accepted for who you really are, not just for who you wish you were or claim to be. All social media acceptance is based on who you claim to be. So even when you get a thousand likes or you get a lot of approval on social media, 
It's approval for who you claim to be, not for who you really are. Whereas your family, your neighborhood, in prior times in America anyway, your church, people really knew you. And when they accepted you, it was to accept who you really are, not just who you claim to be. Yeah, so even if it's approval, it's kind of a false sense of approval. And another thing came to my mind as you were mentioning that we have not advanced psychologically that much or we have not changed so much. And that is, so do you think we have the psychological maturity to use all these advanced technologies? Or do you think somewhere along the path we will have some issues because of lack of psychological advancement? Well, I'm curious about how things are where you live, but my sense of America has been Mm -hmm. expressed by a number of writers, not me, but my sense of America is that we've gotten worse, that People are not telling their children, you're wonderful, I love listening to you. People are telling their children, you're really amazing, you're gifted. And this create this this constant praise or exorbitant praise has created a very anxious couple of generations of people who are worried that they're not going to be able to live up to the praise. So I think things have gotten worse, that child rearing looks more like Facebook now with people telling their children how fabulous they are instead of making them feel great about being ordinary. Yeah, so are you referring to um, parents' communication online with their children? Not online, even in person. I, I mm-hmm. see parents constantly telling their kids that they're special, that they're wonderful, that they're gifted. Well, yeah, I think it's best to have some sort of a try to give a realistic outlook out of life and out of our identities and who we are. So do you think there is a way to become more psychologically minded or what do you recommend in terms of cultivating the quality of psychological mindedness in ourselves or In other words, how can we turn into individuals who can decode the world we live in better and understand it better psychologically? Well, I wish I knew. I have some ideas about it, but I really wish I knew. I think if any single thing comes to mind, it would be, you know, I often say that what it means to be psychologically minded is just to think, maybe it's me. You know, when I get into a conflict with someone, Maybe it's me. Maybe it's not just that they're a terrible person. Maybe I did something that's, I think, really good therapists constantly wonder if it's me, not, you know, in therapy, there's always this temptation to blame every conflict between the therapist and the patient on the patient's mother and father. Yeah, yes, absolutely. Therapies are just collusions. They're coalitions where you and I are the good people and your parents are the bad people. Mm -hmm. And I think that a therapist who tries to resolve every conflict that arises by suggesting that maybe the therapist did something wrong is on the right track. I'm not sure how that translates to personal development, but I, I do think that 
having a better imagination and understanding that everybody else has their imagination as well would be a good step. Yes, and when you mentioned that maybe it's me and it's not someone else or my parents, I'm sure what you are referring to is that we need to have the ability of, you know, using uh, reflection and uh, introspection and analyze our life and try to come out of this mode of always being a victim of some childhood experiences or some external events. So is that what you're referring to? Yes, I totally agree. And, you know, the word reflection reminds me of a few practices. One is psychotherapy has become a problem-solving enterprise instead of a reflective enterprise. And I think my reading of the outcome data is that it's more successful when it's a reflective enterprise, when patients learn how to think about themselves and treat themselves differently than when they have a specific problem that they go into and the therapist tries to fix it. I think that a reflective enterprise, we've also talked about in terms of meditation, there are different kinds of meditation, but they're all forms of reflection, self-awareness or focusing attention on oneself, not the way a press secretary focuses attention on oneself, but the way a concerned and benign, wise part of ourselves might do that. And then I was thinking about Steven Spielberg won an Oscar, and I don't remember it well, but I remember in his Oscar speech, he said something like, well, movies are great, but they don't do for you what reading does. Because when you read, you have to make up your own movie inside your head. And when you watch a movie, you're letting the filmmakers make up the movie inside your head. And I think the replacement of reading with social media has been an unfortunate byproduct that people aren't as good as they once were reflecting because reading requires reflection. Yes, and I think in on social media, it's kind of difficult to read, especially on like Instagram, which now in this part of the world is much more popular than Facebook. So yes, 100%. And in terms of, you know, my previous question, when I asked you, what do you recommend we can do in terms of cultivating the quality of psychological mindedness? You mentioned therapy. Therapy can help, of course. But also, how about workshops like psychology workshops and these kind of activities? Do you think they can be effective? Because I think they can teach us a lot, right? Yes, I don't know a lot about that way of working, but I hear a lot of people. Just yesterday, a student was talking about a class that he took and said that class changed my life. Interesting. So I know it happens. <laughs> yes. It depends what kind of class it is, I think. Yes. And someone prepared to have their life changed. Seems important. I would like more communities, whether it's the parents in a family or the extended family or the neighborhood. I would like more communities to be constantly sending the message well, you know, they're struggling with a lot of variables also. They're not just a cartoon character whenever we're talking about somebody else, but to suggest they have their own inner world and their own reasons for, for acting the way they do. But we often 
leap to the idea that other people are like two-dimensional cartoon characters and we can explain their behavior simply while we continue to believe that our own behavior is very complex. Yes, so communities and having a more active social life, I believe it can help us also to cultivate this quality in ourselves. And we know in many spiritual schools of thought, they have also encouraged their students to integrate self-reflection and introspection into their daily lives, such as Zen Buddhism, Sufism, and many more, in fact. How do you perceive that? Do you think that their emphasis on this journey of self-discovery resembles the idea of psychological mindedness? Well, I don't know that much about the history of religion, except that I've you know, read a lot, but I, I don't really know that much. But it seems to me that every religion has a few tracks going at the same time. And one is how to behave well, and one is how to get everyone to behave the same, which has certain advantages. And one is how to feel spiritually fulfilled. And they tend to get linked and intermingled. And it seems to me like every religion has a practice that would be analogous to Zen meditation. I don't know much about Sufism, but my understanding is that it's like, oh, here's what's missing is we need to get closer to God. And I think that says something about a human need to transcend oneself. One way of psychologizing about the need to transcend oneself is to say that it can also be thought of as accepting oneself or or having a broader notion of what a human is and accepting that. So in that respect, I think that many of these practices are on a similar path. Psychotherapy started off as a cure for neurological problems. And then it developed into a kind of path. In the 1920s and 1930s, and even the 40s, people were talking about going into psychoanalysis for a growth reason rather than a problem-solving reason or rather than, you know, to get better. So it was a self-development tool. Yes, and I don't think it's ideally suited for that. I think it's better suited for uh, getting better, treating yourself better, and there are much better self-development tools, in my opinion, than psychotherapy. And then workshops, training regimens, reading regiments and meditation practices, these things reawakened. And again, I'm just talking about the United States, but in the 70s, 80s, and after that, people stopped thinking about, well, I'll go into therapy as a growth experience and started thinking about other ways of doing that. And how do you define psychological mindedness in the context of therapy? Or what does it mean to be a psychological minded therapist? For me, it means viewing oneself the way a really good novelist views her characters. So my example is always George Eliot's Middlemarch, a book that I truly adore and have read and reread, not just because of her brilliance as a writer and her understanding of her characters, but the affection she has for her characters, even the ones who behave badly. There's a story about George Eliot where someone asked her, where did you get the inspiration for Bulstrode, who's this banker who's got a shady past and behaves badly in the novel? 
And she passed herself and says, I'm Bolstrode. And this sense that a therapist doesn't pretend to be have it all together, but the main strength a therapist brings to the therapy is this welcoming curiosity. In order to develop in the patient a sense of welcoming curiosity about themselves, to me is the essence of what it means to be a psychologically minded therapist. And lastly, do you think, generally speaking, people from some cultures are more prone to think psychologically than others? Yes. I don't think we are able to develop and sustain any approach to ourselves or the world around us without support from our communities or cultures. And so there are some cultures that insist in my mind, unfortunately, America's now become one again, insist that whatever I say about myself is true. And there's no peeking behind the mask. And this reverence for self-knowledge, or what's currently being called lived experience, is problematic to me. And I think the healthiest cultures are cultures where that recognize now, when we make claims about who we are in the world, you know, we're mainly doing public relations. We're not really invested in self-knowledge. I, I like to say that you can take 23 volumes of Sigmund Freud and boil them down to one sentence, which is we're not the final authority on who we are. In fact, other people probably know us better than we know ourselves. So cultures that are flexible and responsive to the idea that we're not the final authority on who we are, are much more likely to raise children who are not tortured about who they are and are, in my opinion, are much more likely to be psychologically minded and fundamentally peaceful in the sense of not blaming others for our own deficits and defects. And then cultures that either insist that you have no agenda of your own, that your only job is to fit into the dominant agenda, are going to be unpsychological. And cultures that insist that you are the final authority on who you are, in my opinion, are also going to be unpsychological. And that means much more externalization of conflict, much more divisiveness, much more sense that there are good people and bad people much more sense that I am trying to be a good person at the expense of parts of myself that I'm defining as bad. I think that the spiritual, psychological, poetic, literary journey is a lovely one to get engaged with for a couple of reasons. One is you don't have to win. There are a lot of other kinds of journeys that only pay off if you end up spreading the word and winning. But this is a journey that you win by going on because the journey is, is good for us. Another way of reflecting a psychological mindedness as opposed to moral mindedness or political mindedness or chemical mindedness is that we don't know. And other ways of approaching the human condition are often embedded in this idea that the truth is known. 
and you need merely to implement it. And when things are known, you are constantly in the business of trying to acquire knowledge. And what any person can know compared to what there is to know is minuscule. And you always feel, in my view, overwhelmed by how little you know. But the psychological path, which I think is also like the spiritual path or the literary path, is a path of finding things out. And if you're invested in the business of finding things out, life is exciting and adventurous because you'll never run out of things to find out. That's right. And I don't think we can really enjoy life without that journey of self-discovery. So I think we will always have that sense of lack of fulfillment. Whereas if we enter this path of getting to know to ourselves and discover different aspects of our being, then, you know, we can have a more fulfilled lives. Agreed completely. Dr. Carson, it was an honor having you on this podcast, and I look forward to having you back again on our upcoming podcasts. Thank you for your time. Thanks for having me. And as we reach the end of this episode, we can conclude that having a psychological outlook towards life creates a space through which we can express our curiosity and it gives depth to our understanding of ourselves and everyone else in our lives. Consequently, this leads us to realize that we are all so similar to one another, yet so unique in our own ways. A psychological outlook helps us view humanity from a place of understanding and compassion rather than judgment. I hope you enjoyed listening to this episode. You can always find us at brightshift.co where we offer online therapy, workshops and meditation sessions to both individuals and businesses. And you can follow us on Instagram under brightshift. Thanks for being here and see you next time.